Again, we, we honor this weekend. You know, it's been in the last seven years in a military community. Memorial Day is kind of always one of those weekends where a lot of them are excited because they, they get a four-day weekend. But at the same time, they've, a lot of them have lost um, friends and co-workers who have, who have died in the military. And so we want to just make sure that we enjoy this weekend, but we also celebrate and honor that there's been a big sacrifice that's made for us to be able to gather even like this. Um, so let's not forget that. But Memorial Day weekend is kind of this unofficial kickoff to summer. Okay, summer doesn't really start for another three weeks, but this is kind of this unofficial, we're beginning summer. And a lot of times in Memorial Day weekend, we, we bring out those grills we get that smoker going early in the morning. Um, we start cooking that meat. I don't know, maybe you guys, has anybody grilled anything or smoked anything this weekend or is planning on it? Um, who's, who, who are my ribs people? Because I need to know who you are, okay? I, I love some ribs, even though they're a mess. They are outstanding. My wife likes to do the ribs because I don't like to get up that early in the morning to be messing with the smoker. Um, but it's it's... It's one of those things, just grilling and cooking that meat. It's kind of that thing that we do around this, these type of weekends and celebrations. But we all know the main meat, and it's a simple meat, but it's great. Burgers and dogs, right? A lot of people. A good burger, a good dog. Even just saying it, you can start to, to imagine the smell, which is not good to do when it's almost lunchtime. Um, but a good burger has to have some good toppings, a good bun, Maybe you throw on some salt and pepper. You get some cheese on there because everybody needs some cheese on their hamburger. And you just top it with some good things. Maybe, maybe you're a ketchup or a mustard. I'm not a big mustard fan, but I get it. But there's something that we a lot of times, and almost every time I see it put on burgers, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing that we put on here. It's something that I see it and I'm like, I hate it. It adds no nutritional value. And I think it gets in the way my theory is the only reason we put it on there is because it makes us feel good about eating a big fat piece of meat. And that something is lettuce. I don't get it. Like, it just, it's, it gets in the way. It makes your burger slide off. Like, it's just, it's annoying. I don't, I, it's not that I hate the way it tastes. It's just obnoxious to be put on a burger. I think people, I've said it to people like, but it gives it crunch. I say, go get some Tostitos. Get some Oreos. That'll give you the crunch that you need, and it won't be just an obnoxious piece of nothingness. And I, I say this with a point. It, I have to admit something to you guys. It's going to be, it's going to sound bad, but there's times, and I'm sure there's probably times if you read the Bible enough, that you get to a passage, and it feels like lettuce. You're like, okay, I kind of get why it's here, but it just doesn't, it feels like, can we just like, not do this part? Can we just kind of get past this to the next thing? And as I look at the book of Philippians, there's so much of it that's just rich and meaty and good toppings. And it's, it's like that awesome portion of the burger. And people, are, there's passages in there that are been memorized. And as you even hear them, you're like, oh, that's where that's from. And there's, there's so much deep theology there. And then we get to this passage and it feels kind of like lettuce. And as I sat there, Looking at this passage, I then looked at the calendar and I thought, when am I out of town? Because maybe Jace will have to preach this one. Well, it didn't work out that way. And as I just kind of sat and I looked at it, I was like, seriously, maybe I should just skip this and go to chapter three because chapter three is pretty great. And God kind of convicted me and said, no, we're committed to preach through this whole thing. So let's go. It's like, okay. I sat, 
I prayed. I'm trying to figure out what, what am I needing to see here? God, you show me what you want me to see. Why are we talking about kind of this travel log and these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus? I said, I went to it, kind of the question that we've been looking at each passage is where can the joy be found in this passage? And then I realized something. My lack of interest in this passage showed me something that was kind of way off of me. It showed me that sometimes I want to go for the sensational instead of the ordinary. And there's something that can be just found in the simple ordinary act of obedience that we're going to learn from, from these two guys. And that's the title of the message today. It's just the joy of ordinary obedience. There's a joy that can be discovered and found in ordinary obedience. In this passage, the reason it wasn't intriguing to me is because the Bible's full of all these amazing things. And like we said, there's been these great verses. And this just seems kind of bland. But sometimes you have to like slow read scripture and God starts to show things to you. Even in a passage that you might just want to gloss over, God's like, let me show you something when you spend enough time with me to see something new and deep. Many of us, we're not interested in ordinary obedience. But the fact is, God is. God honors ordinary obedience. In verse 29, Paul actually was talking about Epaphroditus and he says, honor what he has done. And all he did was something that was an ordinary obedient act. And when we do these things, God is wanting to honor our ordinary obedience as well. See, Timothy and Epaphroditus, there's nothing that's super significant about the things that they've done. They're pretty ordinary. And the, the reason we want to gloss over that is because we've seen in the Bible all these amazing stories. There's like David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's den. We're like, those are some, some really cool things that we want to talk about. And then there's these guys. But the truth is, there's way more of just these kind of guys like us than there is moments of these amazing things. God wants to do some extraordinary things through ordinary people because God does extraordinary things through acts of ordinary obedience, things that all of us can do. So that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to look at from this text. That's what we're going to see in these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. We're going to see what they did. We're going to learn from what they did and how God used them to help make a difference in the world. So first we're going to start with, with Timothy. The first section Paul is talking about Timothy and in, in verse 19 it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I might also be cheered when I receive news. And he says this, I have no one else like him who, now let's just pause there. If Paul was going to describe you or even a friend or somebody was going to say, I have no one else like Bob who fill in the blank. What would you want them to say? I have no one else like him who can start a business, who can attract a crowd. I have no one else like Mary who, man, she's the best mom in the world. I have no one else like this person who's memorized all these scriptures and prays down fire. He says this. He says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. It says, everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful descriptor of anyone. And it's not maybe the first one that comes to a lot of our minds. Basically, he's saying, I have no one else like Timothy who just cares for people, who simply, genuinely cares for people. It's kind of, it's like this superpower that we all can have. It's just genuine care. But when I first read that, it's like you kind of just gloss over it. You read it and you're like, well, big deal. Like, he 
cares for people. Anybody can do that. And the truth is a lot of just simple, ordinary truths, they become almost, we've become almost numb to them. And so they don't make an impact that they actually should. But this is our first point. Genuine care is rare. Genuine care is rare. Everyone can do it, but few people actually do. This is what Paul is telling the, the church and what, how he's speaking about Timothy. He's saying he's the only person I know that genuinely is going out of his way to care. And here's what I want us to get from this is genuine care is more than just a moment. It's a mindset. Here's what this means. We all can have a moment when we care about people. Somebody, something happens to someone. Maybe they go through something. Maybe it's something tragic. And in a moment, a lot of us, we, are, we do the right thing and this is the right thing to do. We step up and we care. We send them a text. We send them flowers. We're, we're there for them in that moment. And I pray that we would all be like that. But there's a difference between a moment and a mindset. My, my dad had passed about a year ago and when he first died, there's a lot of people that were there in the moment, and I am so glad they were there, you know, sending flowers, giving meals. But there's something different about the people that have the mindset of care that a month later are saying, hey, how are you doing? That the year of his death, they've marked it down, and they're calling, and they're saying, man, I'm praying for you. I love you. What's, are you. Are you good today? That's the mindset of caring. It's more than just a moment. It's that follow-up. It's that follow-through. It's, it's going that extra mile. I'm sure Timothy would have been that type of person who was getting up and praying for his friends in the morning and actually spending time praying for them. That was following up and not just doing it in a moment, but doing it that's more significant, which is the mindset of care. And the mindset of care is when somebody pops into your mind and you actually do care for them. It's like, God, I hope they're doing all right. It's going the extra step of just texting them. Hey, you're on my mind. How you doing? That's that extra little thing. That's the mindset of care and not just a moment of care. It's something that is rare. And I bet you, if you have enough, if you have enough of a, a network of friends, you can think of someone in your life who has that type of mindset, who goes beyond being just the person that's there for you in a moment of crisis or in a moment of need, but they're just kind of always there for you. They have a mindset of care. I've got a friend who, man, he drives me crazy because he makes me feel real bad about this. Because I want to be better about this, but honestly, I'm the one that sometimes will just, I'll even think about it, I'll pray about it, but I don't actually let somebody know that I'm caring for them. And what he does is he doesn't just say, hey, I'm praying for you. First off, never text somebody that unless you actually are, okay? It's easy to say, hey, praying for you, and then not actually do it. So please, don't lie. Just do it. But he'll bust out his phone. He'll record himself praying for somebody. So he's, he, I have multiple times where he's recorded himself saying a prayer for me and a significant prayer, and he sends it. It's that little mindset that sets that type of care apart. That's that genuine mindset that Timothy must have had, that Paul was saying, man, nobody's like this. That's the mindset that I want us to have, to be known for. That's the mindset that I want our church to have. You know, it's easy for us during moments when there's a need in our community to show up. And that's good and we need to be that. But that's that moment of care. 
The mindset is that ongoing looking for needs and saying, how can we step up and be a church that's just always out there with a mindset of how can we care for people? How can we care for our community? That's that Timothy type of mindset that Paul is praising here. And it's something that we can learn from and try to build up in ourselves as well. You know, it's important too. And here's why a lot of us don't do this. We've got a lot of things going on in our own personal lives. I know I do. I'm sure all of you do. And you're like, man, that's hard enough to care for myself. I, you all the things I'm going through, it's hard enough to care for myself. I don't have extra to care for other people. If we always wait for extra, you're never going to care for anybody. So here's what I want to encourage us to. We have to, it's important that we care about ourselves. It truly is. But we can't do it at the expense of losing our ability to care for others. It's important for us to care for ourselves, but we can't do it at the expense of reaching out to other people. And as you begin to expand your care for others, a lot of times you'll have them care for you. And it just, you don't have to be self-consumed with caring for yourself. In a different part of scripture, Paul is actually writing to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says this. He's writing to Timothy. He says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. And this is how he describes what the terrible times are going to be. People will be lovers of themselves. If I was going to write, there's going to be terrible things in the last days. There's going to be, I would be like, there's fire that's going to fall down from the sky. And there's going to be great famines. And there's going to be a pandemic that shuts everything down. He, this, he, this isn't how, he says in the last days, people are going to be lovers of themselves. This is the tragedy that Paul is trying to help Timothy to avoid. And it's a tragedy that I think is pretty prevalent in our society today. Self-consumption, just being lovers of ourselves. You can see it when anxiety begins to freak out and rise up. When people start arguing over the silliest little things because they've decided their way is the only right way. That's that lover of their own identity themselves. And that's something that if we start genuinely having the mindset of care, that starts to dissipate and break off. Because we realize it's not all about just being self-consumed with caring about me, but I get the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with others. This may sound like a fortune cookie, but if we actually live it and learn from it, it makes a lot of difference. If you want to change the world, start by caring for people. Start by caring for people. Again, if we, if we were to go to lunch at a Chinese restaurant and we get this fortune cookie and we open it up and it says, if you want to change the world, start caring for people, we'd be like, okay, whatever, that's nice. And we would just throw it in the garbage. Because the thing is, we've all heard that before, but how many of us actually genuinely go out and do it? We might do it for a moment, but I want us to move beyond moment and let it be a mindset of care. I'm praying that God would shape and change this in my life as well, because that's not my initial mindset. I like to be in the moment so I can help fix something. But a mindset is, even when it's fixed, is it staying healthy? So let's have that type of mindset. If we want to find joy in life, we have to start caring for other people. When we're finding, trying to find joy, there's a lot of joy when you're actually having that mindset of care. When you're actually looking out for folks. And then we reach this next guy. He's not as well known as Timothy. Timothy's got two letters written to him. He's not as well known. Part of it is he kind of has an interesting name. Epaphroditus. Everybody say Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus. You guys did a good job with that. That's a, it's a weird name. And the, 
We don't hear or learn a lot about this guy Epaphroditus, but there's some things that we can know just by his name. One of the things is we can know he was not raised in a good Christian home. And you might be like, how do you know that? Well, here's what his name actually means. It literally means belonging to Aphrodite. Epaphroditus means belonging to Aphrodite, who's the goddess of sex and sexuality. So his name meant belonging to Aphrodite, which you could say then his name meant belonging to sex and sexuality. The thing that he was identified by, the thing that he was known as. Now this is definitely, it's, it's not the main point of this message, but as I slow read this, God said, you need to make sure that you bring this out and you make a point of this. Anything that's been in your past and anything that maybe we have a, a, a culture that really wants to be defined by sexuality, God says, nah. I have a different thing that you can be defined by. Because at some point, Epaphroditus had an interaction with somebody who shared the gospel of Jesus with him. And that gospel of Jesus impacted and changed his life to the point that he was now called a Christ follower. And he didn't necessarily, his name didn't change, but his heart condition did. And he was no longer known as someone who belonged to Aphrodite, the goddess of sex. He was someone that belonged to Jesus. And so whatever past hurts you've gone through, maybe even in your sexuality, maybe you've had a really hard divorce that you've gone through. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe there's been some identity things. God wants you to know, hey, you don't have to be defined by that. I want to give you a new purpose and a new definition. So I want you to understand this. No matter what has defined your past, Jesus has a new definition for your future. Again, it's not the main point of this message, but this is such an interesting small little thing we see and that this guy had this name that just showed that he came from kind of a heathen space and God changed him and made him new. And God can do the same thing for us. And Paul says this about his friend Epaphroditus. He says, I think it's necessary to send him back. And then he says these things that, man, I would love to be defined by this. He says, he's my brother. He's a coworker, a fellow soldier. He's a messenger. He took care of my needs. That understand and remind us what's going on here. Paul is in a Roman jail. Epaphroditus was in Philippi. And Paul was on ministry and on mission. And, and there, that takes resources and money to be able to, to advance the gospel of Jesus. He also had wounds and needs that needed to be met. The Philippian church, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, had resource. And so they would take up a collection. But now they had this collection and they had to get it to Paul. They didn't have Venmo, guys. There wasn't the postal service. So somebody had to take the journey from Philippi to Rome. And this wasn't like around the corner. This was a nine-day journey. A nine-day journey that somebody would have to take. And then whatever time they took in Rome, and then a nine-day journey back. So 18 to 25-ish days of an inconvenience just to go give a gift and to care for someone. Epaphroditus went on this journey. And while he was there, it says that he got sick. We don't know exactly what happened. Some people thought maybe he got pneumonia. But he goes on this trek just to go to serve, to give a gift that they've collected. And as I, I, I read that, I'm like, okay, well, what can we learn from this? He had a willingness 
He had a willingness to go and do whatever God asked him to do. And our willingness to serve is actually an act of worship, guys. When God puts an opportunity in front of us, it's actually an act of worship for us to just say, okay, God, I'll do it. A lot of times we think worship is the time when we have songs and we sing these songs, and that's great. But worship is when you're willing to do whatever God puts in front of you. It's saying, I'm putting God first no matter what. God, you're asking me to do this? I'm willing. That's an act of worship. That's the ultimate act of worship. And this is what we can learn from Epaphroditus. Paul doesn't say, man, Epaphroditus, he won 3,000 people to the Lord. Epaphroditus, he baptized 50 people. He says, Epaphroditus was a messenger who brought a gift and helped me out. He was willing to go. And he even says it at the end of the, the chapter there. And nobody else was. He was willing to go. He brought him up because he said yes to the job in front of him. The church needed someone to go, so he went. A lot of times, we get opportunities placed in front of us to serve, to make a difference, to give in a a new way, to step out in our faith. And we, I've done this lots of times myself, we see them as an inconvenience. And I don't want to be inconvenienced. This is a big, huge inconvenience for Epaphroditus to have to give up this time to go on this journey to give this gift. And so I think we need to stop looking at opportunities to serve as an inconvenience. And instead, we need to see them as an opportunity to worship. We need to see these as an opportunity to worship. And here's why. There is not a single thing that Jesus wouldn't do for you. He proved it. He came from heaven to earth. He was born to a couple confused teenagers He was born into a a, a impoverished state. He lived and he served people throughout his entire life. The moments before he was about to die, he was washing his friend's feet. He died on a cross for us to pave the way so that we can be forgiven of our sins, so that we can have a better life now and a future hope in heaven. He did this all for us. It was very inconvenient, but he did this for us. And our ultimate act of worship is to say, God, I am so in love with you, whatever you put in front of me, if you've put it there, I'm willing to do it. A lot of times we have opportunities placed in front of us that we say no to, or we say the Christian no, which I'll pray about it. If you're going to really pray about it, that's great. Most of the time, that's just a nice way of saying no in Christianese. Let me encourage you, there's so many ways that we can step out and serve. For Epaphroditus, it was, I need somebody to go to Rome. Okay, I'll do it. What do we need? Here at Relevant, it might be Pastor Maggie saying, I need some people to serve in this kids ministry area. And here's what we do. We go, that's inconvenient to me. Or I'm not good with kids. That's great. God is good with kids and he can work through you no matter what. He'll give you the Holy Spirit and a grace that doesn't make any sense to make a difference in somebody's life that needs it. There's an eight-year-old that needs you to just sit with them, tell them to be quiet, and let's hear about Jesus. But we have to have the willingness to step out and go, okay, Pastor Maggie, what do you need? Pastor Jace, can I be there on Wednesday? What do you need? There's so many opportunities to step out and to serve, but a lot of times we're like, ah, that's an inconvenience. You don't understand. I got a lot on my plate. There's always going to be a lot on your plate. I'm going to talk about this at the end, but if we're always waiting for the right moment, we're never going to get to a moment at all. We're just going to keep waiting. 
We have to be willing sometimes. That's a simple act of obedience of just, okay, what do you need? I got you. All these areas, whether it's serving, whether it's giving generously, a lot of times we'll be like, well, when I finally have more, then I'll give. Just start. The pastor is going to need you to help move his house. Come on, guys. It's very selfish. Just kidding. But we all have opportunities to serve, a willingness to worship. That leads to my third and final kind of thing. And it's just this ordinary obedience from ordinary people actually is what produces extraordinary results. All throughout Paul's letters, I love that he writes in his letters at the end of them or at the beginning of them, these thank you notes, and he lists off these names of people that we really don't know a whole lot about them. Here's what we do know. Somewhere along the way, they did something that made an impact enough to Paul that he put their name there. And we read all through scripture, these big stories of these grand things of Abraham and Noah. And here's where God is, I think, speaking to us. He's saying, I want you guys to be those names that I would just be thankful that you've been ordinary and obedient. It's not about doing the big, flashy, extraordinary thing. It's about, are you going to be consistent and faithful with the things that I've given to you? God is pleased with simple, consistent obedience. You might read it and be like, that's just simple and that's mundane. There's no big light shows in this thing. There's no extravagant, amazing miracles. And that's kind of how I first read it. And that's where God convicted me and said, nah, look at this as just these two guys living an act of ordinary obedience. Now, let me give you a visual to kind of drive this home. Pastor Jace is going to bring out a visual. And I just really want us to, to take a look at this and to think about sometimes how we act and we behave. If you've ever been in a moment where you, you know, as a church leader, I've been in moments before where I get to present someone with a big, huge gift and a big check, and we bring out the big check, and it's awesome. Everybody smiles, and man, it's, it's exciting, and it makes a big difference. But this is sometimes how we live our life. We want to do the extraordinary thing and, and do something big and significant. And so we say, okay, I'm going to do something for God, and I want to do something extraordinary and when are we going to do it? When I have it. And so we just wait and wait and wait until we have it to actually give this big extraordinary thing. I just want to give God one big huge thing. But here's what God wants us to do and what he gives to us. He doesn't a lot of times give us the big check to do one big thing. He gives us a jar full of coins. And he doesn't say, go give out the whole jar full of coins. He says, take off the lid and just do little, small things. Little, small acts of ordinary obedience. That it may not feel like you're doing a lot, but you're pouring your, yourself out. You're giving your life away in quarters, in dimes, in nickels. And the thing is, it's way more inconvenient to go live your life in a way where I got to carry around a jar of kindness and just do little good things to people than to just do one big, huge check. But God has given you, each of you have something to offer. You got breath in your lungs. You've got, a, you've got today. You've got hands, feet. You've got something in your cupboard, in your bank account. You've got some kind of time. A lot of people, you know, it's that same, if I won the lottery, if I had 
you know, more time. You got quarters, pennies, and nickels. What are you doing with those? What are you doing with the little things you have in life? There's probably a single mom who, man, she would just love a couple hours to herself and she just needs someone to watch her kids for a little bit. There's someone that needs a simple text of, hey, I love you, I'm praying for you. That's just quarters, nickels, dimes. And you just keep living that way. You keep living that way. You keep living that way. And God may give you opportunities to do big check type of stuff, but why would he do that if you're not spending the things that he's already given to you? Man, this is convicting to me too. Because there's times when I'm waiting, I'm like, God, okay, I want to do the big significant. He said, okay, I've given you the jar. What are you doing with that? Here's the thing about the jar. The jar gets heavy to carry around sometimes. But it gets a lot less heavy if I just start pouring it out. So I want to encourage you, find opportunities to just spend yourself in serving other people. It's such an ordinary message. It's something you've probably all heard before, and it sounds kind of basic that we heard from these two guys. But basic doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that we have to actually step out and do it. Step out and spend your quarters, your nickels, your dimes. We've been kind of given these message in motion takeaways, and I want to end with that today. I want you to memorize a scripture verse from this. Most people don't look at this passage and be like, here's my favorite verse or here's one to memorize. But here's one I want us to try to memorize this week. Philippians 2.21, and this is the one that says everyone looks for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. This isn't one that we probably want to put on the wall, but it's one for us to remember that most people are only out for themselves. And I don't want to be that type of a person. I want you guys to text an actual prayer to someone, not, hey, I'm praying for you. But take the time to write it out or video yourself and just send them, a, send them a prayer. It's one of those little ways that you can just pour yourself out. And then a super tangible thing. A lot of you already do this, but keep a coin in your pocket this week. Keep a coin in your pocket this week. And then when you touch it, see it, feel it in your pocket, just let it be a reminder of, I am called to live a life of simple, ordinary, consistent faithful obedience. How am I pouring that out today? What am I doing that's kind today? Who's in my mind that needs a quick call or a text message today? And just live a life where you're pouring out quarters, nickels, dimes, quarters, nickels, dimes, penny here, all the way. Everything you have can be used by God. You just have to be willing to say, okay, God, here's what I've got.